Stand and deliver. Hello and welcome to the Stand and Deliver comedy podcast, episode number 19. We are rapidly leaving the teenage phase of this podcast behind with all his angst, uh, hormones and, and nonsense. Uh, we're now going to become disillusioned. Uh, oh no, we could become uni students, can't we? That'd be nice and we can have a freshers week. Anyway, this podcast gives you a peek behind the curtain of stand-up comedy. And uh, it's me, uh, a promoter who runs the Stand and Deliver Comedy Club up above Smoking Billy's in Reading. And I'm also a comic, uh, so you'll hear me chatting to comedians I meet out on the road and comics that have played my club. The guest on this show is Catherine Mather, who recently just came third in the Leicester Mercury Comedy Competition, which is an awesome achievement. Uh, Leicester has a huge reputation for comedy, all thanks to the, the Leicester Comedy Festival. Uh, so uh, we'll hear from her in uh, just a bit. But firstly, sorry if that my voice is a bit off today. I, I've been ill. Uh, it, my voice is, is ruined, uh, which is terrible because by night I'm a stand-up comic and in the daytime I work in an IT call centre. Both involve an awful lot of talking. Uh, and when I'm not at work, I'm, I've got verbal diarrhoea and I still talk a lot. So, uh, yeah, anyway, I don't know why I'm apologising to you lot. Half of you, well, no, actually the vast majority of you can't even be bothered uh, to write a nice review on iTunes, let alone send me a packet of cough sweets. So, uh, I'm not sorry, uh, but I haven't suddenly adopted a new voice to sound like, I don't know, Bane from Batman or whatever. Uh, But yeah, this has been an exciting couple of weeks for me, comedy-wise. As both a promoter and a comedian, I find one of the most exciting things that can happen comedy-wise is being at the opening of a brand new comedy club. And, uh, well, this happened to me this past week. Uh, My mate Nick Bayard runs Mates Rates Comedy, brand new Sunday afternoon venture at a a place called Bluegrass Barbecue in Reading. And it's, it's extraordinary. It's a tiny little room, 30 seats max, and you really had to get these people in with a shoehorn. It's great being at an opening night because there's this real sense of of just excitement because especially if it's uh, like the venue um, we were in, had never had comedy before, so there was a sense that everything was to be gained and also everything was also could be lost. It could go terribly wrong, um, because if, if, if uh, especially if it's a restaurant, sometimes places aren't used to having comedy, so they, d- they don't see anything wrong with just sending the waitress in to tidy up the glasses uh, during the comedy show. Luckily, this didn't happen with this one, and the audience were absolutely fantastic. We thought they might be a bit lethargic, a bit disinterested, what with it being a, a Sunday afternoon. Uh, we also thought they might be a bit nervous, because I think a lot of them had never really been to that much comedy before, but... They were so warm. They were so nice. I uh, had the honour of being the opening act and had all these contingency plans um, in my head for if they were a bit tense or or weren't quite getting what the show was about. But I didn't have to do any of it. I pretty much just did my set and did a bit of mucking about and it was really, really good fun and and really, really exciting. Uh, I was also on front of house duties. And it's it's it, well, that was exciting. I, I love all that lot meeting and greeting the punters before you perform to them. I think, especially if you're a uh, quite a chatty act, I think that really helps because you've already built up a rapport with them before you even get on stage. So when you get on stage, they're like they 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 it's like they're looking at one of their mates. And the whole show whizzed by really really quickly and, and was a very unusual afternoon. The only thing that marred it for me was the, the fact that our oh, Gordon Bennett, I think I I drunk all, all, but I drunk too much the night before, granted. But I think one of the pints might have been off. I don't know which one. <laughs> Line them all up against the wall. Let, let's find out. Uh, interrogate them. But uh, yeah, without being too graphic, uh, Nick said to me, uh, "Are we ready to? Are you ready to let the the punters in and start seating them?" I said, oh, "Look, give, give me five minutes. And I have to dis- I have to disappear off to the loo." Um, but yeah, it was all all right on the night, and I got on stage. And by the time I got on stage, I felt absolutely fine. And um, yeah, we all had a, a celebratory drink afterwards, which was a um, probably not wise in my in my condition, but I, I enjoyed it. It all went remarkably smoothly, although I did have a mishap with the uh, clipboard that had the uh, mailing list on. I was tasked with the uh, 
duty of going around collecting people's email addresses and, uh, well, I, I, something it got a bit messy, shall we say. And uh, I also thought that I'd just document and record uh, the sense to try and get a sense of sort of the exhilaration and the relief after a first show goes well. Right, that's it. That is the first ever Mates Rates comedy. We're packing away. How do you feel, Nick? Oh, good. Yeah, relieved. Really happy. It went well. So it's, that's all you can ask for, isn't it? In a tiny room. How many were in? Did you? Did we count? Oh, we counted. Uh, I'll be out. Well, we're twenty-five, and then I'll be able to work out how many. But I think we probably got thirty in here. In a tiny little shoebox of a room underneath a barbecue restaurant. Oh, it was fun. Uh, I did get bird poo on your mailing list somehow. I know that's that's all right. Uh, as long as you didn't get them digitally, that's fine. No, no, I did not <laughs> download digital poo. I went outside to take a photo through the window, and a bird pooed on it. Oh my god! You, you, you couldn't you couldn't make it up. Um, and after all that lot, there was such a glare on the window uh, that the photograph is unusable. So uh, oh. I got pooed on for nothing. It was such a nice audience, wasn't it? They were really, they were really up for it. Really, really, really keen. Uh, so it's great. Let's hope we get them back next time. No, they were really nice. It's a lovely room. Uh, I thought the acts did well. Yeah, and, yeah uh, did really well. Yeah. Yeah, Kelsey did great. Chelsea yes. did really well. So there we go. Other than getting bird poo on a clipboard, a rip-roaring success was had at Mates Rates Comedy. Hurrah! Now, on to our guest for today's podcast, Catherine Mather. Here's a short clip. Uh, I do have a boyfriend. He's one of those vegetarian ones, and he says that he won't judge me for having a cheeky Mackey's, but I can see in his beautiful, malnourished eyes <laughs> that he is judging me for it. And I was like, to be fair, Josh, God did say that the animals were for us. And he was like, bullshit, Catherine, did he say that? So, I've got a copy of the Bible. It's <laughs> found the passage, it's here, it says... Um, And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. May you take the chickens and stack them threescore in battery cages. (laughs) And store them in a warehouse darkened. And when they are ripe, blast their skin from their bones. And blend them unto nuggets. <laughs> to feed the people on mass a meal that is happy. We cover an awful lot in this podcast, uh, including how to build a TARDIS, uh, because she did a construction course and uh, wrote a dissertation on on comedy. And uh, for some reason, that led to her doing a, a YouTube tutorial on how to build your own Doctor Who TARDIS. Uh, Doctor Who nerds, uh, you'll absolutely love it. Um, I was a bit nonplussed because I've renounced my uh, my whoism, shall we say? Um, although I, maybe I should talk about that another time uh what else do we me and Catherine talk about we talked about how trying to make a living from comedy is extremely difficult and why being paid and having fun are not always in any way related uh we talk about her working in an escape room and uh, we also talk about the general state of the london comedy circuit is it in a good way or a bad way and we also talk about not forgetting the joy of watching comedy, and we hear Catherine's thoughts on stand-up comedy competitions. This is Catherine Mather. This is the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast with Rodders. It's the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast, and I'm with Catherine Mather in the palatial abode that is Mather Manor. Uh, hello. <laughs> yeah, I know, I only have to share it with 17 other people. It's It's great. <laughs> Uh, so you did my comedy club stand and deliver back in August. We moved everyone downstairs because the room upstairs was unbearably hot. I think I was emceeing and Bobby Mayer was headlining. Yeah, that was right. Um, yeah, it was during that just awful, awful summer where it, for the first week everyone was like, yeah, this is great. And then uh, by the end of the third week, everyone was like, I I cannot stand this anymore. We did, uh, I remember the tube system, definitely not built for warm weather. <laughs> It's not, is it? I would take, if I was gigging in London, I'd have three T-shirts in my bag, deodorant and multiple bottles of water, because otherwise you'd you'd just go around absolutely honking. Yeah, and like even then, you'd still end up just, why am I showering? It's too hot. (laughs) Immediately stinking again afterwards. So I heard at university, did you do your dissertation on comedy? And if so, what was the course? 
Yeah, I did uh, a construction course uh, and I did my dissertation on comedy. But it was basically like, so we had to do a five-year plan. That was the deal. Uh, and I was like, I am not planning on doing construction in five years' time. Uh, but I was planning on doing comedy. So I just, I was like, can I write it on comedy? And I've been such a thorn in their side for the three years I was there. <laughs> they were just like, yes, just do what you want, Catherine, and oh. just fuck off. <laughs> I'm just not into bricks. So what, what were you meant to do in an I in uh if you'd done what you were told were you meant does that you meant to be like a building site manager or something like that or um well I studied at drama school so it was like uh construction but specifically for building for theatres so it's like carpentry and welding kind of stuff um and I like I I liked it I I liked the subject matter I did not like uh, the university at all because uh, we didn't have a teacher or any lessons for three years which kind of makes you wonder what you're paying for. Um, oh God! I hope you kept the receipt. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I know, right? I was trying to get money back, but then it was like ah, just, it. They have built the system very much to be on their side when it comes to getting a refund, um, so I've just left it because, I mean, I'm, let's face it, I'm not paying them £54,000 back, um, which is how much debt I'm currently in. Well, on my day job's at my university now after six years. I've gone back and I ended up working there. So bit by bit, my university is giving me back my own money, which is just a really weird way of the system working out isn't it i just think there's something quite poetic about that yeah that's perfect i love it <laughs> i don't think that i'd do it to my uni but i don't think they'd have me <laughs> well, just, it, on the same when you said construction i immediately thought the people i was at uni with who did construction management who were going to be like managing building sites and that kind of thing so if it was constructing sets that's not quite as left field but was it still quite an unusual dissertation topic uh, yeah, because everyone else did it on... Con- I say everyone else, there were three of us in my class. Uh, I was the girl one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the mandatory woman yeah. to allow the, the university to get an extra ten of funding off the government or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, like, basically... Um, I mean, so one guy went into building magic tricks uh, and then the other guy, he went into doing, uh, like, community projects. So... Uh, yeah, it was because I mean he was a magician, the guy, <laughs> the guy who built the magic tricks. That's amazing. Um, yeah, so it was. I mean, like we were all kind of in performance as well as construction anyway. But I just, I mean, I did um, a, a ten-part series, how to build a TARDIS, because uh, I built a TARDIS for my like final project. Um, <laughs> well, it, I saw the video, but I thought it was just a. a kind of a joke you'd concocted i thought why well, how would you come up with that but that was all part of the course yeah it was so like amazing <laughs> i was just building it it was half size because i mean it's very expensive yeah build. you're not mad are you <laughs> no and i had to get it home on the tube and i knew that i would have to get it home on the tube so i built it with that in mind so that you could just easily like fold it all down and then take it home um but yeah, it was. Um, I, I was as I was doing it. I was like, "How can I get comedy out of this?" Uh, so I just filmed the, you know, like those how-to videos that are useless. Absolutely, you see them on YouTube, and like it doesn't explain how to do it. I was like, I want to do those. So. <laughs> but for also something that's quite niche, unless you're... I mean, the BBC probably have enough TARDISes lying around now after God knows how many decades. <laughs> to, yeah. to do a how-to of a thing you're never going to need to do is, is um, brilliant, I think. So the um, so three of you on the course, did you all get on? Because that would be been awful if you didn't. <laughs> yeah, we did. Oh, thank goodness, that would be hell. So you said everyone was in performance. Was that where you started doing stand-up or... Was that um, afterwards? Because you must have been interested because you wanted to write a um, dissertation on it. Yeah, so, like, when I lived in Manchester, I um, worked... So I, I liked comedy anyway, uh, and then I sort of started working backstage because I, I studied technical theatre at college, so, like, uh, sound and lighting and stage management and stuff. Um, so I started working uh, backstage in... Uh, comedy. Uh, I say a backstage. There is very rarely a backstage in comedy. Is there? It's usually just in a pub, and you like yeah. stand from this corner of the room to that corner. Uh, but you know what I mean. Um, so I was doing that, and then I moved to London, and I'd always sort of felt like mm, I could, I'd like to give it a go. But then I knew too many people in Manchester to do it. It'd be really humiliating if I died on my ass. 
Because so, all your mates would be there. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so then once I came to London, I saw there was like a one-day course and then they booked you in to do a spot. So I was like, ah, fuck it, I'll do that. I don't know anyone here. Mm. Um, just to see if I could and to meet people because uh, I'd moved to London. I didn't know anyone. Um, and then, yeah, sort of ran with it. And then, because my, my plan was to go into construction. I wanted to do that. Um, like build sets for the West End, that for instance, would that be the ultimate goal with that? Yeah, that was kind of what I wanted to... I was going to come for three years, move back home and do that back in Manchester, but then I started doing comedy and I was like, ah, no, this this is the first job I've done that I'm good at, so Mm. I'm going to keep doing this. Um, Yeah. Funny what you say about green rooms. The only time I was going to get a proper green room that was actually... It was going to be painted green was at Hot Water on Hardman Street. The trouble is it only just opened, (laughs) so... um, up in Liverpool, and it was they were halfway through converting it from being just a toilet, oh, so shit. it was just there was there was just like debris everywhere, and we were all crying immediately. My first introduction to that comedy club was walking in, knocking over a pint glass and a toolbox, and just smashing it everywhere. And they're like, "Oh, you come up here from the south, no no manners whatsoever." I'm like, oh, sorry, oh, no. <laughs> it was terrible. But um, going back to the Oh, I've lost my thread. Um, yeah, dissertation. You had to write a five-year plan. Was that yeah. like a, a business plan for comedy? Um, yeah. So, I, well, I sort of I sent uh, I wrote out a questionnaire and I sent it out to four about forty comedians, thirty forty people. Got well, I sent it to more, but about that many got back in touch, which is really interesting. Uh, just asking sort of how they got along, and from that I sort of found out that it probably. Seven to ten years is sort of the length of time you need to be doing it before you can start considering being full-time is from those people is what I got, uh, which, you know, is, I think, fair, really. I, that's sort of what I expected. Um, but, yeah, it was... So I covered different aspects of it, so it was just, like, how... Like, I, I was considering starting my own night, and I have since... Um, like looked into it and been like fuck no that's so much admin and I'm a terrible promoter (laughs) I I can't do that so I'm not going to do that but I was looking in to do that and then like um I was researching sort of how what's the best kind of room that you're looking for uh how to make it successful and all of that stuff um so it's interesting it's very interesting to do so would you describe yourself as quite careerist then in that sense with regards to comedy uh, yeah, I would like it to be my job. I, like, I never went into it wanting it to be my job. I think that would be insane. Like, nobody starts playing golf to win the Open, do they? Like, <laughs> you, that's I, mean, I get the sense some people do. And I know, I know some comedians that they'll start and they're going to be like, well, I'm going to be on Live at the Apollo and anything less will be a failure. And they make themselves very unhappy uh, yeah. along the way. And that's so sad because if you're not enjoying it, what is the fucking point? <laughs> yeah. Like, really, it's not like... The amount of money I started doing a spreadsheet for how much money it cost me to get places, how much I was spending when I was there, and how much I was getting paid, and it is depressing. I think like the first month I did it, I got twelve pence an hour. That <laughs> like you know when you break it down, it's like it is the enjoyment is the reward, isn't it? This job like it's not um, you don't do it for anything other than the, the love of the art. Um, but yeah, like when I found out that I could get paid and people were willing to pay me and that I'm, I'm not bad at it, then I was like, well, if I, like, if I work hard enough for long enough, this can, I can just do this. This would be great. Yeah. Cause it's an interesting, cause I, I always want to say if you want to make money, then don't do comedy cause that's not even the point. But at the same time, if you work hard, you do deserve to be rewarded. And the two, I don't know how to make the argument because one almost sounds like I'm saying, Oh no, it doesn't matter about the money. You should, and it's almost saying you shouldn't pay comics. But then I also want to argue the opposite. So I, I don't know how to reconcile those two cause they sound really mm. contradictory. Um, yeah, and as well, like when I tell people who aren't comedians, like, oh yeah, I got paid a hundred pounds for ten minutes work. They're like, oh my god, that's amazing. But then you think, okay, well, it was te- only ten ten minutes of work that I did, but I had to get to Glasgow <laughs> and back, and then uh, you know all of the time that it takes to get there, and then also it's the time that it takes to write that material, and then go to all of your unpaid new material nights, and then for six months honing it and getting it just right, 
and then go into Glasgow. <laughs> and then you get back to the figure of 12 pence an hour. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, but it's... So, yeah, it's it's well-paired in some respects, which is... But it, it sounds like it's well-paired in some respects, but I think when you actually consider how much work people are doing, I don't think you can be lazy and be a comedian, really. I think everyone likes to appear lazy. That's a very British thing, though, isn't it? It's the mm. people at school who um, say, oh, no, I don't revise, and they stay up all night cramming and then get an A and they pretend that they're doing no work. Cause it's, yeah. And comedy is this weird thing. If you've got to got to make it look effortless, otherwise people don't laugh. The minute yeah. they think you're trying, they kind of switch off to you. Uh, but going back to being paid for, for comedy, just because it's weird which gigs are fun, just because you're getting paid doesn't mean it's a fun one. It can still be really, really horrible. Like Some, some of the funnest gigs I've done i've been i've got nothing except like i've not even a free drink but i've just had a really really good time and other times it does it money never makes it i always used to think that if you've got a bit of money for it even if it was really hard work and horrible you think oh well at least i'm getting paid doesn't help me like it's no. just <laughs> no i had that and as well like because often the money it just goes on getting there doesn't it and get so by the time you've paid for your train fare to get there and back and you've took a night off your day job, well, night job for me, uh, and then you've bought a drink because you're not going to just sit there without, <laughs> like, with your own bottle of water. That's really rude. <laughs> I've been known to do that. <laughs> oh, my God, me too. Like, <laughs> if you're doing five or six gigs a week and you get promoters and they're like, you have to buy a drink, but, like, that's... what? What's the point in London, a fiver? That's, like, 25, 30 quid. I'm not... I can't pay that much a week on drink plus travel. That's insane. Because I was doing, I had a thing for a while. I was signed up to an agency where I'd host pub quizzes and then right. I'd use that money to pay for my open spots. Uh, trouble is, I was in a pub every night. I was changing yeah. shape. But like, <laughs> I was genuinely getting a beer belly and I was thinking, I got on the wrong frame for this. It's going to look like someone's <laughs> sellotaped it on. And it was just, because yeah. uh, if you are out every night, you can't, you can't drink and you do have to yeah. get to bed uh, occasionally. It's so unhealthy, isn't it, to be, like, pissed? Because like, I'm a lightweight. I can't, if I have a pint, I'm I'm gone. I'm not gone. But, you know, like, that's... I'll feel like shit in the morning if I have two pints. So, like, I ca you know, I can't wake up feeling like shit six days a week to support comedy. I'm quite well disciplined when it comes to the, the midweeks. Like, I did Oxford on Thursday... Comic cards we've had a couple of pints. I didn't have anything. Weekend gigs. Oh, I just go mad. I just can't resist. <laughs> like the closer I am to home, or if someone else is driving me, and I know I don't have to worry about getting back, or if it's the, the gigs in Reading. Um, we, we did a Saturday show back in July at my club. Um, I got to the venue at about half past five before the show to set up as usual. Didn't leave there till four in the morning. Yeah, I mean, they should have charged me rent. I was practically <laughs> living there for a weekend. <laughs> uh, but going back to what I was saying about money, like, it doesn't make it more fun. No, not at all. Like, yeah, that's it. Some of the worst gigs I've done I've got paid for. And you're like, I'd honestly, I'd rather not have the money and have been at home tonight. That's my fault. I, I said I'd rather do a gig that was nice that I really I took me ages to, to realize that I thought being paid for it would make you happier but it doesn't make any difference doesn't it because it's just like yeah it's it's it, it's weird I thought it would somehow cushion the blow but it doesn't yeah and also sometimes it can add extra um wet like responsibility to it, it so like um my rule is if people are paying or if I'm getting paid I don't do new material or, you know, the newish stuff that you kind of still working on. I try and not do that because, you know, people have paid for it. That's mean. Yeah. <laughs> I can't give them shit. Um, but, yeah, like, then you've got, oh, my God, the responsibility. People have paid to be here. Oh, no. Oh, and then if you die, then you're like, oh, God. I've and then you're, you're there Saturday night. They've worked all week and this is what <laughs> they're electing to do with their one of two nights off. And Yeah. Yeah, and then <laughs> and you're like, oh my God, please don't pay me. I let you down. I'm like, you know, you can feel like that, can't you? I mean, I always take the money off, but you know. <laughs> um, yeah, there's an extra weight of expectation on you if there's money involved. If there's no money involved, do what the hell you like. like well, not, you know, within reason. Don't be a dick, but you know. <laughs> I wonder, though, if I did go full-time, if I... If I, you know, not that I got the, you know, it's like I could, that sounds like I could just go do it tomorrow if I wanted to. But you know what I mean? It's like, if it happened, I wonder if I'd hate it. Because I'd have like, 
Because now if I get, I'm doing, I'm feeling a bit mad at the moment. I'm doing about three or four a week because I've got a competition tonight and I'm well excited about it. Um, and I've got a few nice gigs coming up that I want to be like match ready for, as I say. <laughs> but then when I get tired, at least I can stop for a bit because there yeah. will be a peak where I stop enjoying it. And so I'll have to have a bit of a break. Whereas if it was my job, I couldn't. And also there are some other things. I want to go climbing and I actually want to see my friends for more than half an evening. Yeah, that's it. But then like I had a similar thing. So when I left uni, uh, I was just... Because I always feel it's like a, a wave, isn't it? So like, I always... You do well and you're like, oh, yeah, this is great. I'm the best. And then it goes down and then you're, like, and then you're just stuck in this rut for ages and you can't get out of it. And it's just, oh, this is the worst. And then you go back up again. And it's just constant wave, I, I find. Uh, and when I left uni, I was in the bottom <laughs> wave and I oh god this is so bad uh, and my friend at work who is also a comedian said it's because your attitude to it has changed because now it's gone from being a hobby when you're at uni to being your job and you have to do well it and you have to earn money from it because it's part of your income and I was like oh shit yeah that's my mindset has completely changed towards it so what I did then was just stop thinking of it as being that and just sort of um, viewed it as a hobby again uh, and doing it for fun and to hang out with my mates rather than having to earn anything from it Uh, and that made it all a lot better then so I think and then did you find you progressed better as a comic weirdly because you weren't pressurising yourself as much yeah I felt much happier then and I just stopped doing the gigs that paid money and went for the ones that were like you know, just, like, because I've got mates who run nights, so you go and it's just, like, a reason to hang out with your friends. Mm. So you just have a drink afterwards or, like, not yet, a soft drink or something, and just talk to people and be with them, and it's nice. So I started doing those gigs rather than the ones that I could have earned money from, but what's 20 quid, really? You know, well, it's a week shopping, but, you know, like, <laughs> and my phone bill. Uh, but, but, like, you know, it's just, I'd rather be happy than have my bills paid i'd rather be happy and have my bills paid <laughs> but yeah that one has a compromise and you do <laughs> other bits of work to keep the comedy afloat i guess yeah yeah can you tell me about the short home escape room i'm just well excited <laughs> well intrigued by that oh yeah i'm so oh, i was so glad to get that job um it's i work back of house uh in this escape room uh it's Sherlock Holmes themed i'm ashamed to say that that show played such a role in my move into London I was either going to move to Glasgow or London and I was watching that um, TV series Lords at the time you know I was making the decision for unis and I was like I'm gonna move to London and I'm so glad I did Uh, but yeah I found that job advert um, oh, oh, it's destiny, isn't it? Yeah. And then you, you now you need to move, get to a, get a flat on Baker Street, don't you? Oh, and you, yeah. your dream would be complete. <laughs> but I kept scrolling past it. I was like, no, I'm not qualified for that job. I would love it, but I can't do it. And then I finally got the balls to apply for it. And I was like, oh, they're never going to accept me. Why would they do that? And then I got an interview and I was like, oh, this is amazing. Did the interview and I left it thinking, oh, that went quite well, actually. And then in the time that it, I left the interview to being at home I was like I fucked it I've not got the job and then I went into mourning for a week oh no because <laughs> like, I've definitely not got this job and then I got an email being like congratulations fuck like, it yes <laughs> your passion for Sherlock Holmes must have shone through <laughs> yeah. so I I've never done an escape room I imagine it a bit like the crystal maze where you have to do puzzles and stuff and so what are you actually doing are you a character like an acting person what the called actor <laughs> <laughs> yeah well so I suppose I've only done a couple of escape rooms and I should say that I am fucking awful at them. I I can't do them. I am not. I've not got the right mind for them. Um, but traditionally, it's just like one room that you're locked in for an hour, um, and it's usually about sort of four to six people, um, and you've got to solve puzzles to get out. Um, and uh, I, my job is to sit and watch people on the camera and send them clues when they need it. Um, how do you how do you send them clues? 
Uh, just type them out and then they come oh, up. Oh, cool. So you're kind of like masterminding and kind of, it's a bit like the Truman Show with the, with the, the blokes up in the control room manipulating Truman's life. Yeah, a bit oh. like that. <laughs> it's great. It's so much fun. And it's because sometimes you get people who are good at it and it it's nice because on the whole, like, I really, I love everyone who comes through, but it's great when, like, occasionally you'll get a group of people uh, and you get, like, families just having full-on domestics, <laughs> which is amazing to watch. <laughs> I suppose you've got your own private reality TV show going on. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I love it. It's such a good job. Oh. Uh, so do you think the London comedy circuit's in a... Because if you're not a comic and you're listening to this, then it's... London's a weird mishmash. There's an awful lot of... I try I try to go to Oxford rather than London because in London it's like too many comics. Everyone catastrophizes and say that London is in a mess comedy-wise. But has it just always been like this or do you just need to know? Because I know a couple of gigs in London that buck the trend and don't do the whole, we'll have 400 people doing five minutes and they do selective tens, yet they're not pro-nights. So there, there are a few I can find. But do you think the trick is just to find the good ones or do you think London comedy circuit is in a bit of trouble? I don't know really. I think uh like like you said there's there's a lot of people um who are comedians that want to start their own night so that they can get experience emceeing, I think. Uh and like me, they are not promoters because uh, that is an entirely different skill set and hats off to people that can promote because I am shitty <laughs> and I wish that I could be better, but like that that is a talent and a skill in itself promoting. It's a job as is being a comedian. So I think the people that try and start their own nights just with the thought, I want to MC more, they tend to be uh, sort of not as well populated uh, by general audience members who would just come, you know, to watch a bit of comedy because they've not got the skill set for it. Whereas I've been to a few who, you know, like you said, they're not this sort of selective process this is not open mic, but it's also not professional. And if you just do a good job of promoting it, people will come. They want to see it. And also, I think that free comedy is... Uh, that's that's not the way to do it, because people don't value it if it's for free. And they leave during the blooming interval. Even if you've mm. asked them for three quid, they're going to be a little more invested than than if... A London project, it, seemed, it was almost like they're scared to ask for money. Yeah. And like they're just grateful for the pub for giving them a room. And it's like, well, hang on, if you get people in and they buy beer, you're doing the pub a favour. Yeah, exactly. But also, I think the problem in London is all of the big comedians live here. So you can go and see uh, TV comedians doing uh, new material for a fiver, in which case you would feel bad asking for a fiver right, okay. for people who've been doing it for two or three years, like, wouldn't you? I think that's why people are scared to ask for money. But also, people don't, people who, you know, don't regularly watch comedy, they don't know. And there are, you know, I'm not saying that, like, I could do the same job as a TV comedian in a room, that's insane, but you can still put on a good show... Uh, and it, you know, it'd still be funny if you've, like, if it's in a room above a pub, people aren't. They'd be mental to expect like Michael McIntyre to walk in when they've paid four quid for it. So I think people would be willing to still spend money on watching it. Yeah, um, if it's a good, it's like you've got. I think even just having the room laid out properly and having happy people doing your front of house. Yeah, like that's that. I think. If you make people feel welcome, then they feel part of something. If you set expectations, if you don't tell them it's the best comedy club in the world, but you say, oh, we've got some really interesting stuff going on tonight, you know, you've set the expectation so they're not disappointed, but at the same time, they know they're getting something good. I think that's the way to to yeah. do it. Well, I think, and I do, I'm really purist about this, I do think doing setting up a comedy club just to get stage time is the wrong thing to do, because like, you're right, it's two totally different jobs. Do you think... Being a promoter, if you can juggle both, do you think it would hinder your comedy career or, or help it? Oh, that's interesting, isn't it? I'm not sure because uh, I think if you're working in comedy uh, too much uh, from too many aspects, I think that you can be get 
become a bit disillusioned with it you know and you're getting you're in car shares with people who are just like oh this is a shit job and you're like but this is my dream <laughs> that's what i want to do i always want to tell them to go do something else then like, yeah. like you don't have to do it i do get up i'm not saying i never moan about comedy i moan a lot but like there's a line where i just think go work in a shop you're not needed if you there's enough yeah. comics we don't need a bitter one clogging up the circuit yeah um as a listen to an uh, interview with Kiri Pritchard McLean and she was like um, you know she always just reminds herself that uh, we are privileged to do this job we don't have to uh, and there's so many people who want to and never will like it's um, you know you, you should be happy that you're here um, so yeah I think um, if you are good at both then defo do both because you um need a way of supplementing your income and also you don't get sick pay if you're a comedian if you're not working you're not getting paid there's no real union is there i mean we can join equity um but that's more of an actor's union than a what no... ever happened to the comedy guild do they are they still a thing i don't know i've never heard of them i'm gonna google them afterwards mm. yeah I don't, yeah i think it is mental that it's not there's no regulation or anything like because i mean you can cancel on a promoter for absolutely genuine reasons but if they don't like it then you can be blacklisted by you know all of their mates forever like that'd be so hard to regulate against i don't know what rule you'd put in also like if someone does i've had people where they've dropped out for a genuine reason fine so i rebook them they drop out again and you just think I haven't got time for this. Like, I just oh, don't, yeah. If I'm booking a regular show, I want people that, will, that I know will turn up because yeah. I've got to fill a bill, haven't I? And if you're especially... I'm only running a monthly show or sometimes two shows a month. Imagine doing that every night of the week or even once or twice a week. If, yeah. You've got to lose... You're going to lose your patience at one point because you think people want to do it. And like, if yeah. I'm booked, I do my best to turn up early and like because i know what it's like and if, if i'm always very grateful when my headliner turns up before i ask them to because it's i'd say oh thanks you've saved my, my blood pressure because it's awful yeah sitting backstage or in the lighting booth thinking oh god i hope <laughs> he's gonna turn up yeah i've not heard from him today coming <laughs> off. yeah but yeah like again i could that's another reason i couldn't promote i, <laughs> I just <laughs> i think it would be uh very stressful and there's a lot of people who can be quite unreliable. I think people go into comedy. Uh, well, you've got to be a bit mental, aren't you? To go into comedy. <laughs> yeah. Like, why would any sane person do this? It's you know, uh, everyone got bullied at school. Like that's that's <laughs> why we're here. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think um, it's the people who are uh, you know. As unreliable people will be maybe drawn to it as a career, but then I suppose you can't keep at it, can you? No, I think that I think the um, I think there's some very very good comics that end up falling by the wayside just because they are incapable of replying to an email or use it. The amount of people who don't have diaries, yeah, I had there are some professional comics and they're like, oh no, sorry. The amount of times you see a full time professional comic post on Facebook on the Comedy Collective, <laughs> uh, <laughs> who booked me in Doncaster? I've lost my paper diary. I'm thinking, for goodness sake, this is your job. You're not an open micer. This is how you make your living. You're steering away from calendars and back to comedy. <laughs> I forgot the value of watching comedy. I love going to a gig because I know how hard it is to run a gig. And yet, this one's not my problem. If it starts late, I don't care. I don't have to worry. I don't have to worry if an act doesn't turn out. Nothing's my problem. I sit yeah. there and just laugh and and drink and everything's done for me and it's just fun and then you realize how good the full-time tv comics are yeah because that's the thing it is literally wading wading through years of being shit to be good and some people like find their voice early doors and are good at it almost immediately most of us have to be terrible for a while because you are like that the only way that you can learn is by doing it isn't it like um i can't remember who was saying it but it's like um if you're a musician you can practice in your bedroom and then go out on stage and you bam you've got it and if they don't like it it's because they don't like the song not uh that you did anything Connie's this crazy trial and trial and error learn on the job nonsense isn't it yeah you have to have a room full of people watching you practice <laughs> to or in order to do it well so of course, like it'd be weird if you weren't terrible. So I think you need to, uh, aside from watching 
you know, it's good to watch uh, your peers and sort of you can learn good and bad from them, but also watch the pros because that's what you want to be. That's what you're aspiring to And most of them are there for a reason because they're mm. good. And I think, like, the London comedy circuit, well, the comedy circuit as a whole, really, it's quite friendly, isn't it, and supportive on the whole. I think you get some people who are quite toxic and, like, competitive, but... On the whole, I think if someone improves, people are happy to be like, oh, well done, mate, you did great there. But then if you work with them in a shop, they'd be just as horrible. I think they're just horrible. Maybe (laughs) maybe comedy exacerbates people's personality. Maybe So if you're you're a horrible person, you'll seem even more horrible when put in the weird world (laughs) of comedy. But I think you're right. I think most people are actually... Even at competitions, people are... There's very little... Maybe people are just good at hiding it, but out and about, there doesn't seem to be much jealousy on the circuit. Yeah, on on the whole. But when I first started doing competitions, because I didn't do anything for my first year, because I knew that I wasn't good enough and it would crush me Mm. uh, doing competitions. But by like the second year, I was doing it. I was sort of. I was like, oh shit, these are going to be. It's going to be really nasty and horrible backstage, and they're going to be trying to put you off and stuff. and then, yeah, I was just shocked, really, at how nice everybody was and supportive. And then also um, how little I didn't care. Cause you know if you've done well, don't you? Like, we're not that deluded. Like, mm. so if Well, some people are, but yeah, I, don't, yeah. I, I definitely <laughs> know when I've done a bad job. Yeah, exactly. So, like, I think if um, you, you know, if you think, well, I, I was, I ranked around the middle there. And then, you know, the person that you thought did the best won. Then you're like, yeah, good. I'm glad you won. You think, you... fair enough. Like, I don't yeah. mind losing as long as there actually are a lot better. Like, I think, yeah. oh, fair enough. That's that's just fair, isn't it? Like, if I was better, I'd want to win. Like, Yeah, and I, th- I think, to be honest, I don't really know of any competitions that I've been to and gone, what? They, you know, like, they got it. It's always been very fair. Uh, and I have not won much. <laughs> mm. So, it's, um, yeah, I think it's, on the whole, it's fair. But also, I think competitions aren't... Um, it's good for the time being, but I don't think it's... Uh, I think they're bad for the soul, ultimately. Well, I'm trying to enjoy competition because I've got my... For the second year, I'm in the Amused Moose quarter final tonight. Oh, and I, I hate competitions because of that edited pressure just ruin it and if I don't have fun the audience won't have fun yeah. but I'm trying to justify how I can have a good time by telling myself you can't really lose a competition because the worst case tonight I get to play in front of a full room at the Karma Sanctum Hotel which is a really cool amused moose headquarters venue it's wonderful yeah. also you can look up a list of winners or who gets through to the next round no one puts up a list of losers do they yeah. like so Yes, that's it. And like, uh, I did the BBC uh, new comedy thing. Um, I it was like literally the first heat. Um, didn't get anywhere. But I remember uh, Nish Kumar was hosting it, and he was like, "Yeah, I entered this for like three years in a row and got absolutely nowhere." Well, that's really. I'll hang on to that. But what would you say for me doing a competition tonight? Because you've 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 won a you have won a few, haven't you? I didn't look at your CV to before yeah. I went, but you've 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 done all right in some competitions, haven't you? Uh, yeah, I did uh, Frog and Bucket World Series uh, twenty seventeen, and I used to work there as well, mm. so it felt really nice to go back. And oh, it'd been so humiliating if I'd have gone back <laughs> yeah. and just been shit. Get back, find the bar, you. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you're a terrible technician and you're a terrible comedian. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, and then I did the Southeast New Comedian uh, competition, which I won uh, last year. That was in Foxton. Um, but they, I mean, they're quite sort of small competitions, really. Um, yeah, but the um, words of encouragement for them. Yeah, or just like for tips for just how I can enjoy it and get something out of it. Or... I don't. Yeah, that's the thing. I suppose like uh, I applied for Amuse Moose and didn't get in, so there's plenty of people who you who are already ahead of, uh, in the in the game. So I suppose it's uh, recognising um, that you've already done well just being there. Uh, and, you know, you've, like you said, you've got a full, full room. There'll be people there watching who, even if you don't get through, uh, will be like, if they like what you're doing, will approach you and you can get other stuff from it. Like, I've got other gigs and things you know from from competitions i've not progressed in so that's 
you know, there's other things. It's not just about winning that competition. So is that your mindset when you go into a competition? Do you just try, oh, well, it's just another gig, let's just do it and not think too much? Is that your mindset when you get up? Yeah, I try and do that, and then there's another part of me which goes, I just want to (laughs) win. But then I think, what, like, everyone's going to feel like that, aren't they? Like, why would you Crazy actually not wanting to win, wouldn't it be a bit perverse? Right, I think we should wrap up quickly. One thing that's been distracting me, there's a stuffed magpie up on your shelf in your room. One for sorrow, what's that doing there? It's glaring at me. (laughs) Yeah, uh, everyone brings that one up. Um, I I wonder why, (laughs) it's terrifying. I like taxidermy. I taxidermied a mouse. Once, uh, and I put him in a little top hat with a little briefcase, but that's by the by. Um, I, I didn't taxidermy this night. Is that adorable or worrying? I don't know. Adorably worrying. <laughs> yeah, but um, I used to live in a flat in Wilsdon, and there was a, a single magpie that would sit outside. And I'm quite superstitious, even though I know it's a load of bollocks. So, so is that it? Uh, yeah, I killed it. No, I didn't. Um, <laughs> Because it was like one for sorrow, but every morning I'd wake up and there'd just be a magpie there, and I'm like, oh, it's going to be another shit day, isn't it? <laughs> uh, so I thought if I've got one that's in my room, that's two two magpies, and that means joy, and that means it'll be a good day. But now I don't live in that flat anymore, uh, and I just w- still wake up and see one magpie. Um, but my days aren't all shit, so superstition sucks. And also you're in control because it's not a real magpie. You could put that one in the cupboard and it wouldn't protest. Yeah. It's... You bought that one, did you, just for clarity? Yeah, it's oh. not, not a real magpie. Anyway. <laughs> oh, it's very, very impressive handiwork. If you did that, <laughs> from stuffing a mouse to a, to that thing, it would be quite quite a, a progression. Yeah, no, the mouse was terrible. Um, but it's... <laughs> look up bad taxidermy and some of it is just... <laughs> I have been known to look at that. <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, where are you found on the internet? Uh, oh, I have a website, uh, Uh I put loads of stuff on there. Uh, if you want to learn how to build a TARDIS, that's uh, that's where I do it. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thank you, Rodgers. <laughs> this is the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast. That was Catherine Mather. Go to CatherineMather.com for all your Catherine Mather-related needs. And uh, you can watch her sitcom, Mathering Around with Catherine Mather. I made the last bit up, but do look at her website. Go watch her. She's very funny. Right, as I mentioned earlier, I have been ill this week. Uh, that got me thinking... Uh, the, about the whole idea of, of sick leave. It's still a bit of a novelty to me because uh, my last job before I started working in a, in a call centre uh, was uh, I was self-employed and on the radio, which sounds all very rock and roll until you realise if you can't make it to work, you don't get paid. And uh, most people in radio, particularly if, if you're on air, uh, you're on a, um, a self-employed freelance contract. And uh, it basically means everybody turns up ill when they really shouldn't and infects everybody else. So within a, a couple of weeks, the news editor getting the sniffles, everyone has a full-blown um, virus. I mean, it was, it's absolutely awful. And the trouble is that uh, stupid mentality of going in and working when you shouldn't kind of just stays with you. Uh, so I was loathed to take a sick day this week, but I thought, actually, this is stupid. It's not going to cost me anything. And also, if I go in, I'm going to be A, useless, and B, infectious. There's two things an employer doesn't look for in in, in someone, uh, those two qualities. Uh, but it also, another thing that really made me think twice about sick leave is I get very, very annoyed uh, with people who treat it like it's part of their blooming holiday entitlement. They sit there with their calculator and goes, well, I could take four weeks off, uh, but also, if you count in my uh, ten days sick leave, what do you mean? Also, isn't it? I don't believe really in fate or karma, uh, but I do kind of feel it. it's tempting fate. Like, if you ring in, lie and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm really, really ill, maybe you actually will be struck down horribly ill and will never make it back to work again. Um, that's how the world would work if it was just, I'm sure. Um, so there's, there seems to be two extreme categories, these absolute idiots who would probably use the phrase, oh, lunch is for wimps and so's taking sick leave, that will refuse to take a sick day at all and, and treat it as this badge of honour. And I, I did that for quite a while uh, because of my, my self-employed job. And then you get people who treat it as holiday entitlement. So what I'm trying to be is somebody in the middle, i.e. a sensible grown-up 
this isn't a life advice podcast. And if anyone listens to me uh, for advice, then uh, you're out of your mind or just in a desperate situation. Uh, but I, I think this is probably the most sensible thing I've said on the podcast. If you're genuinely unwell, there's no shame in taking sick leave. But it's probably a bit morally dubious just to treat it like a holiday. Um, that That is the, the moral. You might have learnt loads about comedy, but you've also learnt a load about the morality and the ethics of taking sick leave uh, slash pulling a sickie. Right, we'll leave the uh, sick leave story over there and I should, I've got just about enough time to tell you about uh, what's coming up at the Stand and Deliver Comedy Club. Our next show, slightly different time, we're normally the second Thursday of every month, uh, but sod it, you know what, I'm running away to Japan for a, for a trip, why not? So I've moved it to the uh, 25th and our headliner is Alfie Moore. He's incredible. You might have seen him on Show Me the Funny, uh, the ITV stand-up comedy show. Uh, uh, he is a former policeman and uh, very, very interesting. Gives you a real insight into being in the police and at the same time is incredibly funny. And our host is Michael Hill, who's, uh, well, I've seen him compare shows at the Edinburgh Fringe. Uh, he had a sellout run uh, with his show, uh, My Two Years in Tokyo. And uh, he, he's very, very good. And I've been meaning to book him for absolutely ages. To get your tickets, go to facebook.com forward slash stand and deliver comedy night and click on the big blue book now button. Now, here's just a couple of highlights from my own gig diary uh, on the off chance you want to come and see me attempting to be funny somewhere. On the 24th of March, which is a Sunday, I'm at Night Bus Comedy. Uh, this is incredibly exciting. It's booked by, uh, uh, well, my previous podcast guest. Uh, on episode, episode 19, we talked to Maria Shahata. She books uh, the Night Bus Comedy. It's at Wood Green and the gig as the title suggests, is on the top deck of a double-decker bus. I'm uh, reliably informed it won't be moving, thank goodness, because my balance is awful. Facebook.com forward slash nightbuscomedy. She's excellent, and so's her co-booker and uh, co-host, Nicole Harris. I've had her play my club a few times. Worth going just to see them, and I'll be there as well as an added bonus. Uh, So that's on the 24th. Then I will be at Comedy Unleashed on the 7th of May. Uh, the Reading branch of Comedy Unleashed at the Purple Turtle, the most famous bar in Reading. You might be familiar with the London branch. They always have an exciting and unusual lineup. It's a free speech comedy night, uh, which probably means I'm expected to say something controversial. Ooh, what will I do? Pro- probably just say a rude word. Uh, but that is on the 7th of May. Uh, go look them up, Comedy Unleashed Reading on Facebook. And then on the 28th of May, I'll be at the Off the Rails comedy night in Winchester. All the details and uh, more gigs are available for you to have a look at at rodders.com r-h-o-d-d-e-r-s.com forward slash gigs right that's pretty much the podcast done couple of bits and bobs go listen back to the last episode uh, with maria shahata very very interesting in fact you might as well sort of download the whole back catalogue uh, of the podcast because i never just have filler guests they're all people i actually want to talk to if i can't find a guest for uh, the, this month's podcast then i just don't do it you know i'm not on commission it doesn't really matter so i only talk to people who are genuinely interesting so uh, go and uh, i guess the trendy phrase is uh, binge listen although that sounds horrible makes me think of someone stuffing their face and i don't want my podcast in your face i want it gently nestled in your ears and on that rather weird note uh, i'm gonna end the podcast now uh, we'll be back on the next show and we'll see you soon this is rodders signing out for the stand and deliver comedy podcasts